Welcome to Work Beautifully, a podcast brought to you by Dialpad that discusses growth, learnings, and pitfalls to avoid in business. Founders, thanks for joining us on the Dialpad podcast series. In this season, we're going to get answers to top questions that startups have. Dialpad for Good is committed to helping startups, underrepresented founders, and nonprofits through providing 10 free licenses, Dialpad Talk, and Meetings for Life. To learn more about our programs, please visit dialpad.com slash dialpad for good. Hey, startups. Welcome to episode three of the Work Beautifully podcast. And as part of our startup series, today we're going to be talking with Chase Denemy about validation through design from startup to scale. Chase is a designer, growth geek, serial learner, and former founder who loves connecting the dots between user problems and business goals. His experience ranges from leading design initiatives at startups, scale-ups, and international enterprises. He's currently the design lead at Disco, which is a platform that helps creators build their online learning empires. He also facilitates GrowthDesigners.co, which is a community for designers working at the intersection of design and growth. Welcome, Chase. How's it going today? Yeah, it's going great. Thanks so much for having me on. Awesome. Really excited to talk to you today. And First things first. So what do you do day to day? Yeah, I feel like most of my roles, I've often wore many hats as you often do when you're working with startups a lot. But at the end of the day, I'm a designer. And so what that really means is I get the joy of speaking with customers, stakeholders across the business every single day to identify problems and opportunities that a business can solve so we can deliver authentic value that is shared value for both customers and for the business. Finding that value, of course, is really just going through a validation process from early discovery to eventually testing to learn about what works, what doesn't work. So I feel like a a small portion of my job is really UI design and what most people consider to be design when you're working as a product designer. But the largest part of my job is really just going through that learning process. Awesome. Sounds exciting. And uh, for the startups out there, why is design so important to properly validating ideas? Yeah, well, I think it's so important because all too often when designers aren't involved, we actually don't validate. We don't do a proper validation process. And when we don't de-risk ideas, we end up overspending on resources for things that don't actually work. And so I know for yourself working with startups all the time, you probably see that quite a bit. And so Designer skills are really talking to customers to, you know, understand what questions to ask and eventually sort of designing that future state of what you want to build and putting it in front of customers for feedback before the business makes that investment. So I always kind of joke that like in a way, designers really allow us to look into our crystal ball and kind of see the future of what our product could look like. And we have a lot of methods, a lot of tools in our tool belt that can help us to do so. And that's why it's super important to bring on designers really early on when you're starting a business. Awesome. Just talking about bringing designers early on and, you know, startups working early on to build out product. A lot of startups uh, start by talking to potential customers about the problem they've thought about. And uh, how powerful is it to add design mock-ups and design processes to this approach? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really, really powerful. But of course, it it always kind of depends on what you're trying to learn, right? What questions need to be answered at that given time? When you're trying to find a problem, mock-ups of a solution actually aren't going to be very helpful at all. But if you validated that a problem actually exists and you need to validate whether or not your solution has properly solved that problem, 
then high fidelity design mockups can be incredibly, incredibly valuable. Without it, you actually have just a lot of context missing. If you're just speaking to you know, potential customers about your solution or even showing them low fidelity mockups. So in order to get the quality of evidence that you need to have a higher level of confidence, a somewhat functioning prototype, just a design prototype, not something that necessarily has to be built, but something that can be experienced, can be, you know, tested is really, really needed to get the proper validation you need to proceed into more of a build phase. Awesome. And when you have that ready to go, you know, startup founders, everyone's doing everything and everyone has an opinion on design. When do you know when you have enough feedback to make a significant design change? Ah, that's that's a really great question. <laughs> and of course, it's the classic answer, or at least the classic design answer of it all depends. So again, I, I think this is why having designers really early on when you're building a business is so important. Often, it's really tempting to, you know, just make some mockups yourself. And, you know, just chat with a couple of people on the team, super tempting to just roll with creative instinct, and allow some internal feedback from the team Usually in a small startup, it ends up being the founder or the engineering lead and allowing that to be enough to just roll with a change to implement a new design. And whether that's enough really depends on how big of a change is it from the current workflow that a user might be used to at the time and your level of confidence in the solution that you're moving forward with. So it it really all depends. You're also going to take in some considerations around what's the investment for this? If it's a really big build investment, like it's going to take an engineering team, you know, maybe several months towards like a year to build something, probably rolling with creative instinct is not going to go very well. But on the flip side, a lot of people also overtest, right? And, and they don't lean on their creative instinct enough. And so sometimes with smaller things, it may actually make the most sense to collect that internal feedback from the team release it, and then collect feedback from customers after a release, and then adjust and, you know, kind of iterate on that solution from there. With bigger changes, though, that require a heavier investment, like I said, internal feedback, which, again, I shouldn't have to point out, but is often going to be incredibly biased, is not going to be enough. So the best way of knowing that you have enough feedback or validation in those cases is usually when you're using multiple different validation methods and they're all leading to the same answer. So let's say we ran an interview, we put out a survey to our user base, we ran user testing with a design prototype. We use multiple different methods. They're they're not all the same activity, but all of them led to the same answer, the same conclusion for whatever hypothesis we were going in with. When multiple different methods are leading to the same answer, that should, you know, increase the overall quality of learnings or at least our confidence in the quality of those learnings. And then we should have a really high degree of confidence that we should move forward with this and actually move it into, you know, a build phase. But depending on the size of the build investment and, you know, all these other factors we've been talking about, confidence might need to be higher or lower, right? So it really depends on the project and everything surrounding it. Thanks, Chase. Sounds like startups can use the scientific method and uh, compare investment versus impact. So in terms of mockups, can wireframes or low fidelity mockups cut it anymore? When is the right time to move to a functional prototype? 
Yeah, that's another good question. So again, I think it really, you know, what do we need to learn? So sometimes it actually is enough. But oftentimes, I would say the majority of the time, low fidelity mockups are simply missing too much of the experience that it's hard to really understand like how desirable the solution actually is. And so the quality of the learnings get really, really muddy when the fidelity is not high enough. I always kind of talk about the Goldilocks quality, right? It, it can't be too high. It can't be too low. So depending on what you're trying to learn and what sort of feedback you're trying to pull in, you need to find that right level of fidelity. On the flip side, even when, you know, when larger companies, let's say, you know, we're not a small company, we're a larger company, we're actually testing with like a bigger user base. Sometimes in those scenarios, even when we're building something, releasing it and getting feedback, if we don't actually spend the time to think through some of those edge cases, our data could even be very muddy, right? So something that we put out there, we could get test results from an A-B test that show that our solution didn't work. When in fact, there might have just been quality sacrifices that we are making that impacted those learnings. And it would have actually worked if we spent the time to do it. So it always depends. Uh, but I would say more or less just wireframes like a sketched out low fidelity, you know, paper prototype is just not going to be enough to get the right feedback. Thanks for that, Chase. And just building off of that, in terms of designing based on customer feedback, what are some of the best tools or methods to collect this info? We're just living in the greatest possible times. There's so many tools out there. And even just like so many new design methods that are coming out feels like every single day or, or week at least. But a couple of tools that I'll talk about. So obviously the main you know tool in a designer's toolkit is going to be your design mock-up tool or prototyping tool. So I mostly use Figma. So again, that's really great because these tools have just come so far in the level of fidelity that you can get that even in something like Figma, I can, you know, design an actual experience, build out a prototype that has, you know, multiple different states and like really, really feels like it's actually functioning to get that feedback. So that's obviously the main tool. I also think just the emergence of all these no code tools is super, super cool. And probably not enough designers are actually taking advantage of these tools as, you know, validation, like testing tools. So one of my favorite ones is Webflow. Webflow is, you know, a website building tool, but it's a visual builder and gives a lot of flexibility in what you can actually do. And so on the product side, you can actually use Webflow to start building like pretty functioning products to test those ideas. But maybe another good like method to actually validate your ideas is simple things like landing pages, which obviously Webflow is, you know, kind of like the prime, that's like the prime use case. So if you have a great idea, you know, rather than building it first, I know with my own startup, we often just did website, right? Build a website really quickly, put that value prop on there, try to collect leads, and you could start to sort of test the, the desirability of your idea just with a simple website. Another, so that's, that's two. I'll give you one more. Another cool kind of no to low code tool that I really like is AppQs. And AppQs, there's a lot of tools out there that are similar to it as well, but Essentially, it's like a product adoption tool. And so when somebody signs up for your product, it's really, really important to have a great onboarding experience and to really like guide them through those steps to find those aha moments. And tools like AppQs allow a designer to just build those kind of UIs that would guide somebody through an interaction of clicking certain steps and going through an experience. 
without actually needing a dev team, which is incredible. So if you have an idea that you wanted, you know, your dev team to build, but you just don't have the resources to get that, you know, project prioritized, you can use a tool like AppQs to actually do it yourself, answer that question that you, you know, wanted to answer, and then try to get the internal buy-in from the rest of the business to get a team on it. Yeah, that's some great advice, Chase, uh, especially when resources are scarce. And uh, how does the design approach change when you've moved past product market fit into the growth stage of a startup? That is a superb question. And honestly, I don't think most designers, founders really are thinking about this. But of course, the approach changes when you're trying to reach product market fit. You're really, really testing the desirability and you often don't have a ton of quantitative data at that point to lean on. So everything is much higher risk. And as such, you should be probably doing a lot more discovery and validation and tests, more qualitative type of tests, you know, to get and find the right solution. Once you have product market fit, the idea has been validated and you have that core value there. And so you move into optimizing, removing friction and being able to connect more people to that value. And so at this stage, the design problems that you're dealing with are, of course, going to be different and require some different methods, but you also just have more data inputs. And so you can test in a way that you couldn't before. So once you kind of move into the growth stage of the business, you can run A-B tests. So you can actually ship something, run an A-B test, get results really, really soon versus when you're in product market fit, you're probably leaning more on methods like user testing to collect that input. Absolutely. It's almost a transition into conversion optimization and trying to make all the tweaks needed to grow. Awesome. Yeah. And there's uh, lots of levers you mentioned there to pull on. And just kind of talking about design mistakes, what are the top ones you see that startups are making? Well, I think I could probably touched on this earlier, but the number one has got to be not investing in it early. I feel like when I talk to founders, it's always there's a, an excitement around getting a designer on board eventually, but it's never really, or at least often, unfortunately, isn't seen as one of those first hires. I think really as the person who's great at asking the right questions, you know, testing that desirability and talking to customers, finding a good design lead should be one of those very first investments that you make when you're running a startup. So not investing in design early is definitely the biggest one. I think another one that just like, you know, early founders, you know, make is looking at design as UI, just UI and, you know, making things look nice and not looking at design as that holistic, you know, really thoughtful and scientific process that it is for validating ideas. The last one that I'll kind of touch on, which is goes two ways is over designing or under designing. So I think a lot of design is finding the right balance and a lot of especially, you know, early stage companies either end up spending too much time over designing things and not collecting enough feedback, or they end up, you know, not doing much design at all and just putting something out there. So those are probably the three biggest ones I see. Great advice. And our last question is just top three best practices. I know you mentioned investing in a designer, having the right tools in your toolkit. Is there anything else there that a startup should be doing that we maybe haven't talked about? Yeah. So I think I'll, I mean, I'll double down and say invest in a good design lead early on. But a couple other ones, one would be I talked about balance, but just balancing speed with quality. A lot of designers aren't used to really working at a fast pace and they want to spend the time working on quality. 
And I think, you know, designers, especially working within startups, need to kind of strike that balance a little bit better of making sure that the quality is high enough so that we get the right learnings, but also moving quick enough and collecting feedback fast enough to keep things moving forward. And then the last one would just be like being really scrappy and just relentlessly resourceful. Again, there's so many cool tools out there right now that we can use to actually build and get a little bit at least closer to functioning prototypes that I think, you know, finding those tools, learning those new tools to to find put new testing methods in your tool belt are really important. Awesome. Thanks, Chase. And there's a lot of great startup programs out there. I'll just make a shout out to the Dialpad for Good program, which this podcast is sponsored by. Uh, so for any startups that need an all-in-one communication solution, Dialpad is definitely an excellent tool to put into your toolkit. But what are some design tools uh, that you haven't mentioned that are great, low cost, but are also scalable? Yeah, that's a really great question. Well, I think I covered some of the the main tools that I really like to use. One that I'll, I'll just give a couple of shout outs to books. I mean, we've talked a lot about, you know, testing validation. There's a book called Testing Business Ideas by David Bland, and it's just a phenomenal book. It really has like a good I think design lens and it has a lot of those tools and methods that we've kind of talked about in there. I think there's like 40 something experiment ideas within that book and covering kind of early discovery to more later stage validation. And so, yeah, I'll just on the topic of what we're chatting about today, I think that's a good tool to check out. Awesome. Thanks, Chase. Always appreciate a good book recommendation. Just a little bonus question for you. If our listeners uh, want to learn a little bit more about growthdesigners.co, can you just give a few sentences on what it's about and how they can sign up or join? Yeah, absolutely. So you can check out growthdesigners.co, the website. So we are a community of designers that are working at the intersection of design and growth. So these are usually designers that are on growth teams, you know, essentially are trying to connect more people to that value that I mentioned earlier on. And so we have a Slack community where a lot of, you know, brilliant discussions are taking place. We do run events and have a newsletter as well. So you can check out the website, you know, follow us along on social as well. Amazing. Thanks so much for your time today. Definitely appreciate you uh, taking the time to speak to us. And I'm sure our listeners will appreciate all the great advice that you offered. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. Glad I could be here. Right on. Thanks, Chase. Have a nice day. You too. See ya. See ya.